My name's Lloyd Danzig, and on this podcast, we explore the topics and trends that are shaping the creation and dispersion of artificial intelligence around the globe. Welcome to the AI Experience. All right, thanks a lot, everyone, for joining us for another episode. Uh, before we jump right in and discuss today's topic, which will be uh, a fascinating one, we're going to be discussing genetic algorithms. Uh, I wanted to make a, a quick housekeeping note. Until this point, uh, if you look back at the history of this podcast in the past episodes, you'll see we've been releasing uh, one new episode each time on a new topic every other Friday, usually Friday morning, early morning Eastern time. Uh, what we're going to do now, we've received some feedback and have some interesting ideas about how to continue to evolve the show going forward, is one of the monthly or one of the uh, bi-monthly episodes is going to continue airing, as has been the case thus far. Uh, but the other one, uh, you know, when we're doing we're alternating Fridays, rather than releasing a full-length episode on a new topic in the AI space, we have something else uh, that's going to be coming, and it probably won't be implemented immediately. You'll probably see the gap between episodes that relate to topics in AI uh, start almost right away, and, and then uh, probably early next year is, is when we'll be fully up and running. Excited to talk more about that later, but to hop right in here, uh, today's topic is, is genetic algorithms. And or genetic algorithms uh, are something that are often less understood or at least less frequently known than your conventional predictive uh, analytical frameworks, and particularly, you know, generally less known than AI and machine learning, certainly not as hot of a buzzword. Uh, but, but in an interesting way, I think genetic algorithms really gave rise to some of the thinking uh, that we do, particularly in the machine learning space these days, and if nothing else, represent a really useful learning mechanism for data scientists and engineers to think of different ways to go about uh, what are often sort of relatively narrow analytical processes and frameworks, uh, you know, within the machine learning discipline and ecosystem, of course, there's a number of different types of approaches and hybrid approaches, uh, but there are some, you know, fundamental similarities uh, within all of them uh, that genetic algorithms sort of offer uh, an interesting alternative to. And what I'm going to do here as I describe them is, you know, you'll, you'll hear me using terminology that is often found in conversations surrounding biology and genetics as related to humans and animals and other species. Uh, and, and that's deliberate. It's not, of course, my terminology. It's the industry terminology that we're using, uh, where because the uh, analogy uh, actually ends up being so tight and so useful. Practitioners just use the genetic biological terminology and nomenclature and verbiage to explain things in the computer science realm. Uh, so essentially, imagine you have a particular task that you are trying to accomplish and you're choosing from your toolkit of predictive capabilities. You might, if you are going the genetic algorithm route, First, randomly generate a population of possible solutions to your, let's say it's an optimization problem. It's often the easiest way to think about these things. You have an optimization problem and you randomly populate or randomly generate a population, we're calling it, of potential solutions. And what we're going to do is use some objective function, just as we do in many other areas of, of machine learning, to, within each generation, Define some form of fitness. So the idea is that you have some optimization, the problem that you are trying to 
accomplish. You have some definition of how you could quantify the fitness or the level of fidelity of a particular solution to the use case. Uh, and of course, this might be subjective in, in different cases. We'll get to some examples later. But you have this definition, this quantifiable definition of fitness. And so within your randomly generated population of possible outcomes, you can select the most fit individuals, the most fit individuals being the candidate solutions that are offering the best solutions to your optimization problem in the context of the objective function or definition of fitness uh, that you're able to use. And so then what you want to do is you have your selection, your subpopulation within the greater population. You want to, just as is done in, in traditional biology, genetics, and breeding, you want to breed a new generation of possible solutions. And what you're going to do in order to do this is you're going to pair solutions up, just like parents uh, in the biological world, and you're going to mix up their DNA, uh, just as parents do when they have children in the real world, except the DNA is some of their code or the encoding of the solution that that particular candidate solution uh, or that candidate represents. And you continue doing this until either you've run out of money or time or the specific level of accuracy or optimization has been reached. And I think one way to dive into this more deeply is to talk about how, how exactly do we represent solutions to optimization problems in a way that would mimic, you know, genetic encoding and therefore potentially could also give rise to or enable this type of genetic algorithm and selective breeding and generational adaptive iteration toward an optimal solution take place. So I think a way to do this is step back for one second and consider what it means to encode or represent information in a certain way. And of course, one of the most popular ways to do this is a binary encoding. Uh, and you can actually use binary encodings where all data points or pieces of data are represented by strings of zeros and ones uh, for genetic algorithms. Every solution is represented by a string of zeros and ones. Perhaps every solution has a bunch of constituent parts known as chromosomes, and those are actually represented by strings of zeros and ones of varying lengths that, when decoded, result in the expression of a phenotype, a phenotype in the computer science world being some fundamental facet or feature of the solution that is being applied to this optimization problem. And the knapsack problem that any computer scientist will recall, be familiar with, uh, is a famous optimization problem that is often actually solved using a binary encoding. Fam knapsack problem is you have a knapsack of some fixed size and a bunch of different objects of different sizes and different values that you're trying to fit into the knapsack and you want to decide the optimal way to stuff it so as to have the maximum value of objects that you're carrying. And what you could do is you can represent each potential object that you are considering putting in your knapsack as a bit and zero can represent the lack of presence of that object in the knapsack whereas one can represent the presence of that object within the knapsack. Another type of uh, encoding that is often used in genetic representations uh, is what is known as permutation encoding. And so basically here you have every chromosome is a string of numbers that represents some sort of sequence. Uh, so a popular optimization problem to which this is applied would be the traveling salesman problem. Each chromosome can represent or specify the order in which a list of cities would be visited is essentially how you would you would use that. And 
probably the most popular type of encoding, actually, that, that's used in genetic algorithms called tree encoding. Uh, and tree encoding is the representation of objects uh, or functions or commands in a tree-shaped diagram where the hierarchy within the tree dictates the order of operations, and those operations are carried out on whatever's found at the nodes, just like in sort of traditional uh, tree structures. And so what you do is you could be given a set of inputs and a set of outputs and need to find the function that matches them. Tree encoding via genetic algorithms is a, is a popular way of going about this. And not only, I think, is it important to understand why and how you can represent data and information in a genetic fashion, uh, I think it's important to, to consider this idea of breeding, of breeding an algorithm or a, a, another generation of algorithms or algorithmic solutions. And, and so to, to step back and, and start from kind of the beginning on that point, imagine that you have either a random initial population or some sort of seeded population. You might not need to consider the entire decision space depending on uh, your optimization problem. But either way, some portion of the existing population is selected for a new generation. Uh, you could just imagine that if you're trying to predict uh, whether something is a dog or a cat and only the ones that correctly predict uh, the image to be a cat, which you know to be a cat, uh, perhaps those would be a selection from within the population. Of course, you'd probably have a, a more quantified and nuanced definition objective function uh, of so as to be able to measure the fitness rather than just using that sort of heuristic approach. But I should mention that oftentimes genetic algorithms are described as meta-heuristics because of perhaps some of their limitations that we'll get back to. So you're saying that what does it mean to breed an algorithm or a generation of algorithm or algorithmic solutions? You have a population. Some subset of that population is going to be selected for a new generation. And within that subpopulation, you pair off different sets of parent solutions. And each parent solution will give rise to a child solution. Uh, and essentially, the way that is done is usually by a process known as crossover. You take parent A and you take the first few bits or representations of data and solutions in their code or their DNA. And at some point, some arbitrarily or randomly selected point along the way, you stop following parent A's instructions and go to start following parent B's instructions. And essentially, the child is a fusion of the two solutions. Uh, and then in addition to crossovers, there's also this idea of a mutation where you can just randomly change a bit in a solution uh, or whatever the encoding is. You can randomly apply some sort of change after a crossover uh, in order to simulate randomness of mutations and properly, hopefully, consider a, a larger swath of the decision set. And essentially, there's a lot of debate still about whether Crossover uh, or versus mutation has more or less relative importance. It seems that a hybrid approach is the most prudent. And there actually are a number of other genetic operators uh, that you call them regrouping, uh, colonization, extinction, migration that you can look up. There's some great uh, Wikipedia pages and entries and, and some YouTube videos on the topic. And essentially, the idea is just as two parents that have genetic data within them in the real world have a child who is a somewhat randomly but somewhat not randomly composed combination of those two, uh, we see something similar in what we are trying to do with an algorithmic approach. And I mentioned that there's this whole 
notion of an objective function. And of course, that could be a bit flawed, you know, if you have a poor objective function or are constantly trying to recalculate it or don't have one that properly maps on to the business use case. This will certainly be a totally fruitless exercise. But the idea is that you continue finding the most fit solutions within any generation, and you do that until some threshold is crossed. Now, sometimes there are other things that cause the termination of a genetic algorithm or the termination of the creation of new generations. Uh, this can, you can run out of money, you can run out of time, resources. Uh, there are also times where sort of the most fit solution reaches some sort of plateau and, and isn't significantly improving or where improvements beyond a certain point aren't that relevant to a particular use case. And so genetic algorithms are, are very powerful things to learn about, to understand. Uh, they're powerful to use and I think genuinely an interesting approach uh, that mirrors and feels very similar to how machines learn these days in this sort of randomized but controlled and iterated manner. Uh, and yet there's sort of a fundamental difference into the nature of the computation. And, you know, there are some limitations and drawbacks, certainly, uh, just to, to name them and or name a few at least. I mentioned that, you know, finding and fine-tuning a fitness function is not always easy or possible or cost-effective or feasible in any any fashion. You know, genetic algorithms are great for simple tasks, but once you get to very complex ones, again, defining fitness and finding objective functions becomes increasingly difficult. And it's also not always clear. I gave some of the termination criteria. It's not always clear uh, when a person should stop. I apologize if you hear the uh, sirens and uh, noise from the streets of New York City behind me right now. Uh, but uh, just moving on in the list of, of limitations and drawbacks, there's also a tendency, of course, this happens with many analytical frameworks, but there's a tendency for genetic algorithms to converge at local optima. Uh, you can imagine that you kind of start converging toward a certain definition of fitness and therefore type of solutions and subpopulations early on in the process. And that definition or that momentum, rather, is actually very hard to reverse. And also, I, I should mention, a lot of what machine learning has done these days is, is allowed for operation on dynamic data sets that are changing all the time and uh, constantly being updated. Genetic algorithms, again, similar to the point I just mentioned, are often way more effective when deployed on static data sets than dynamic ones because, like I said, you can really converge toward a local optima far too early uh, when using genetic algorithms, and that can be particularly dangerous if your data sets and distributions are, are changing fundamentally. And so there have been talks about how to build more adaptive uh, genetic algorithms that can account for these things and have a sort of adaptable dynamic objective function or a way to define and categorize and quantify fitness that evolves with the steps of the genetic process and breeding. Uh, but I think the important takeaways here, and I'd urge people to play around, build some themselves, try to try to code some up, uh, or just you know re read a couple of blog posts or medium posts about how other people are using them. It's great as we proceed and eventually and inevitably find barriers and plateaus with our various analytical frameworks. It's great to think outside the box a bit and see how some slightly similar but slightly different. Uh, ways of approaching computation uh, can really open up a world of, you know, potential solutions or at least ways to work around particular issues. Uh, so with that, thanks, everyone, for joining us. This was the AI Experience.